We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, can someone nod? Just let me know you can hear me. Okay, very good. Okay, inshallah. All right, let's jump right into the material, finishing off Surat Al Fatiha. So, So we've gone through each of the ayahs in somewhat detail, uh, all the way down uh, to through to the end. And yesterday, alhamdulillah, we made it through uh, the path of those whom you have favored, not of those on whom is anger, nor of those who are astray. And we said in a very simple nutshell, number one, we are speaking to Allah. Allah Ta'ala gave us the script for us to speak with him. Obviously, we can speak to Allah using any script, uh, but this one is an especially blessed one. And as you know, in our daily prayers, this is this is the core, this is one of the core aspects of, of our daily prayers. And what are we saying to Allah? We are requesting guidance from him after expressing so much praise for him okay. in this first part. <laughs> and what is interesting is that when you look at uh, so many of the prayers in the Quran, the format is very sim similar in the sense that there's praise of God in the request, or there's request and then praise of God. So we are also getting a taste of what are the proper manners in, in approaching Allah. Again, Allah Ta'ala understands us in any language. He knows what is in our hearts and such. Uh, but here we have the proper manners with which to speak about Allah. And what are we requesting? We're requesting guidance onto the straight path. And we spoke about that. And then we spoke about what does it mean to be on the path of those whom he has favored, not of those on whom is anger, nor of those who are astray. The last key point I want to mention about Al-Fatiha is that we're taught in the commentary that when you are reciting this, God is immediately responding. So one point to think about is that when you are making a prayer to Allah, any prayer, and it would be easiest if I show you the actual passage. If you are making any prayer to Allah, he's answering. So when my servants ask you, So when my servants ask you, about me, I am near. And to make sense of what's going on here in terms of the backstory, we see the first approach, the first step of interpreting a passage is to derive what we can from the backstory at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so companions were asking the Prophet, and apologies if this is a repetition, a lot of the classes begin to blur together for me. But the companions are asking the Prophet, peace be upon him, where is Allah? And so he receives this response, and this is interesting because you can read this a couple of ways. Uh, one, when they ask you about me, the answer is that I'm near. Okay, where is Allah? Allah is near. But take it even deeper. The fact that you're asking where is Allah by definition means that Allah is near. Okay. And then what? Ujibu. So I respond to the call of the caller 
when he calls. I respond to the invocation of the supplicant when he calls, but simply I, I respond to the call of the caller when they call. Okay. And in return, they should respond to my call. Okay. Now, simple question, how many commands have we had so far? If you go through Al-Fatiha, look at every single ayah, how many commands have we had from God telling us to X, Y, Z? Feel free to unmute your microphone or to say it in the chat. And while uh, people are suggesting the answers, so let fal yastajibu li wal yu'minu bi. So let them respond to me. Okay, I'm responding to you. You respond to me and believe in me so that you may be rightly guided. Okay. So in case no one has any guesses uh, to how many commands we've had, we've had zero commands so far. Okay. Uh, uh, nothing uh, at all so far. Uh, so so guide us in the straight path, but that's us asking Allah. Yeah, I'm asking, can you think of any commands where, where Allah is telling us, do this or don't do this? In fact, we're not going to have any commands for, for, for a while. So what are we saying here? When we're praying, guide us on the straight path. At one level, this is our request. At a deeper level, the fact that we're asking this, by definition, means we're entering onto the straight path. That if you are seeking to be on the straight path, and by definition at one level, you have now set foot on the straight path. Now, how do you remain on the straight path? What we discussed before, you obey Allah, you obey the messenger, peace be upon him. Okay. Now, I said that when you're reciting the surah, Allah is responding immediately. And so at one level, he's responding to your request. At another level, with each line that you are reciting, with each sentence, with each ayah you're reciting of Al-Fatiha, Allah is responding. So when you're saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, then Allah immediately says, okay, my servant is praising me and glorifying me. Hamidani. Now, who would he be saying this to? To whom would he be saying this to? He'd be saying this to the angels. And then how would the angels respond? The angels would respond either with prayers for me or by sharing this with other angels. And so, so, so let's try to uh, uh, really uh, appreciate the significance of that. Think of, of any particular celebrities, if there are in the world, any famous people in the world that if you had the chance, you would like to meet. Okay. Some of you might mention, I don't know, Beyonce. Some of you might mention Elon Musk. Who knows who? Okay. Uh, and now imagine uh, if that person with other people is talking about you in a positive way, is praising you. you know? So, so uh, you know, you have these high-level people and they're saying, yeah, uh, have you all met Sylvester? Sylvester's a really, really good guy. Have you met Mahane? Mahane's a really good guy, you know, so forth and so on, okay? 
And, and so think of how that would make you feel, that these people that you hold in such high esteem are talking about you, praising you behind your back. And now think about what it takes to get that. You might have to work super hard to get to a certain level so people get your attention. You might have to fawn over some people, who knows what. Yeah. But here what we're saying is that the creator of all is speaking about me, praising me. And all I have to do in this case is recite al-Fatiha. Okay. But not only that, so Allah is saying, you know, my servant is praising and, and expressing gratitude to me. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmuddin. And my servant is expressing glory about my majesty. And as I continue reciting, then Allah says, I'm splitting this between my, for myself and for my servant, and then guide us in the straight path. I will give my servant whatever they're asking for. So the point being that at the very beginning of the whole class, we spoke about having a connection, having a connection with Allah. And then we spoke about the surah as a journey towards developing that connection. And we spoke about connection itself. We spoke about gratitude. And now what we're saying is just the simple fact that I'm reciting the surah, Allah is number one, he's responding to my request for guidance, my request for gratitude. And on top of that, with each line, he is responding by praising me, by talking about me to the highest councils of creation. And then, and then Allah knows whatever benefit to me, they themselves are also doing for me. Just by reciting Al-Fatiha. And that, in its essence, is the core worldview of the Quran. Meaning that, if we appreciate that, that is the whole essence of the Quran. My goal is to connect to Allah, and Allah has made it so easy for me to then connect to him. My goal is to have a relationship with Allah, and he made it that easy. But it's not just that he made it that easy, and then he takes it further. Just like the narration, if you come to Allah walking, he comes to you running. Good. What we will see over the, 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 the next, uh, so we were completing essentially about one third-ish of, of the course. What we will see over the course of, of the next passages is how to develop this even further. Good. Next point, uh, I'll, be, I'll be posting an exam uh, of Surah Al-Fatiha in that document. Let me just type the address again for those who, who might have missed it. Demokuran class L1. And so that's where we keep the recordings and whenever whenever I can get them from students and such, uh, raw notes of, of, uh, of the previous classes and, and, and such. So a little bit later on today, inshallah, I'm also gonna po post an exam for Surah Al-Fatiha. Your goal is to finish that by the time we finish the course. Yeah. And it's very, very straightforward. Even my exams, those of you who take my academic classes, my exams are also designed to be learning, uh, part of the learning process as opposed to an evaluation process. 
Okay, so we're about to enter into a bakara. Before we do that, any questions about anything at all? Anything that we've covered over the last, I think it's like nine, nine. sessions. I had a question. Santiago, go for it. I'm not sure if you maybe said this at some point and I wasn't here, but mm-hmm. why is why do we pray the Fatiha when you're praying Salah? Mm-hmm. The, the very simple answer is that that's what's prescribed. And, and so the way the acts of worship work, uh, or here, let's even make it simpler, um, just to give an idea of how actions themselves uh, tend to get organized. So, so from the lens of, of Islamic law, just about all the actions you can think of that a person can do get categorized into one of the following. One are acts of worship. Another are matters of social interaction. So social interaction would be things like marriage, divorce, clothing, such like that, food. Uh, uh, Then we have financial transactions, purchasing, giving loans, buying property, et cetera. And then governance. The general principle with the bottom three is you are especially looking at the context of the moment you're in to to figure out how to do something um, from an Islamic perspective. What does it mean to do something from an Islamic perspective? We're saying that Allah has laid out this information for us with the, and our goal is to apply that information to get closer and closer to Allah. But as we are in different times and places, context is going to change and some of the details on how we do things are going to change. That's for items two, three, and four. For, for item one, the basic principle is that these acts of worship are beyond rational. They're not irrational, but we also can't call them rational. They're handed down and we practice them as is. So an example right now, we're in the month of Ramadan. Why do we fast in the month of Ramadan? I can give reasons. Well, this is the month the Quran was first revealed in and such. But what is the actual reason? Because Allah prescribed to fast in this month. And, and then those details of the fast, well, why we do this and not that, that's what's prescribed. Or if we think of the, the daily prayers, why five, why not 10, why not two, why not 50? You know, uh, ultimately, it's prescribed to do five. And with the details for each one, and so al-Fatiha is prescribed to be part of each cycle, each unit of each of those prayers. We can give rational explanation, like this is the whole essence of, of, of the Quran, the whole essence of Islam, this surah. So it makes sense that we would we repeat it. It's itself a prayer for guidance, so it makes sense we'd repeat it. But the actual primary reason is because that's what's handed down. That there won't be a... Um, uh, like a more accurate answer than that. Okay, but I wanted to know, like, did it, does it say in the Quran that you should do that, or did Muhammad tell oh. them to? Very good, very good question. So, so this is coming from the Prophet himself, peace be upon him. 
and and his prescription was pray as you see me pray and and so thus the companions follow uh, as well as they can everything that he's doing and then they teach it to others who teach it to others to teach it to others until it reaches all of us yeah. makes sense all right thanks okay absolutely uh, see, Hanane, you're saying you missed a part about two, three, and four. So we're saying the default of, of, of number one is you keep things as is as much as you can, regardless of the context you're in, except when an exception is itself already given. So for example, if you're, if you're traveling, then we are already given exceptions for what to do about your prayers, what to do about fasts or such. Um, or if you're in a case like a pandemic, when there is a potential danger, then we already have those exceptions built in. But the default is, is regardless of context, you keep the acts of worship as they are. Whereas for matters of social interaction, matters of financial transaction, matters of governance, then you're also looking at, okay, how do they do things in your particular society? And then how do we negotiate what is being prescribed in the text of the Quran, the Hadith with what you do? And then you go through a process of figuring out from a context perspective, how to practice elements two, three, and four. Whereas from uh, element, uh, uh, action uh, uh, item number one, you try to keep context, you try to keep everything the same regardless of context. And it gets interesting because then we go uh, on the pilgrimage to Mecca and you see everybody prays exactly the same way. And even the minor details get traced back to the prophet peace be upon him. Any other questions before we get into surah number two? Again, feel free to unmute or uh, type anything. Okay, so we have surah two. Name is Al-Baqarah, or the most common name is Al-Baqarah. First question about the names themselves. The primary purpose of the names of the surahs is identification. We would like to think, uh, based on our contemporary culture, that the name might also be giving us perhaps a summary or a theme. And sometimes that is correct. Sometimes it's harder to figure out that that's correct or not. So for example, Al-Fatiha, the opener is literally also giving us not just the name of the surah, but it's also giving us a function of the surah in relationship to the rest of the Quran. It's opening up the rest of the Quran for us. It is the flashlight. Al-Baqarah, the name is said to be connected with a story that's going to take, that would take place outside of our course. It's actually in course number two um, about a conversation that Moses, peace be upon him, has with his people related to the sacrificing, the slaughtering of a cow. Uh, but that may or may not be giving us some summary of the whole surah. So what is the primary function of a name of a surah? It's identification. Where do the names come from? Primarily, they come from the prophet himself, peace be upon him. Now, <clears throat> what else is taking place? So, so some small tidbits. It's the longest surah of the Quran. Any of you already recognize this? And 
We mentioned uh, when we were at the beginning discussing Al-Fatiha that two of the lights of the Qur'an, two of the high points of the Qur'an are Surah 2 and Surah 3. And so to help make this point, the surahs are often paired together. So if you were to look at the last two surahs of the Qur'an, Surah An-Nas, Surah Al-Falaq, I should say Surah Al-Falaq, Surah, surah An-Nas, Surah 113, 114, and if you read through them, they seem to parallel each other. And part of the reason is, those, is that they are a pair. So Surah 2 and 3 are also considered to be pairs. And what does that mean? <clears throat> each ayah of each of those two surahs stands on its own with its own meanings. And then you have another dimension of meanings for each of the ayahs in the surah. And then you have another dimension of the meanings when you take the ayah and merge it with, with the surah, uh, take its surah and the surah next to it. And so multiple dimensions of meanings for each of the ayahs depending upon how we approach them. Or another way to understand this is one surah will talk about one topic, another surah will complement it in talking about uh, 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 similar topics. So for example, as we are going to see, surah two talks about a lot of principles. Surah three talks about a lot of principles, principles of life, principles of faith, principles of reality. Surah 2 puts a lot of emphasis on, on instructions or prescriptions and history. As does Surah 3. And this is true for a whole lot of the surahs. And an emphasis here is on Moses, peace be upon him, and his people. And an emphasis here is on Jesus, peace be upon him, and his people. And so if we think of the relationship between Moses and Jesus, peace be upon them, uh, think about it through a couple of different lenses. So a general Jewish lens, a general Christian lens, a general Muslim lens. And this is, this is all going to be very simplistic, but I think it'll make the point very clearly. Through a Jewish lens, we have Moses, peace be upon him. He is one of the greatest of all prophets of God. Okay. And Jesus, peace be upon him, is looked at as essentially a rabbi, but whose teachings are sort of astray. Right. If we look through a Christian lens, then Moses is part of the process of setting up the foundation that is then fulfilled in Jesus, right? That Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Lord and Savior. And so from a Christian lens, Judaism is setting up the foundation and Christianity is the completion. 
And what are we seeing in the Islamic lens? Moses has the same core message as Jesus, peace be upon them. And if you put them together, then you start to get Muhammad. So we're saying all the prophets of Islam have the same message. And what is also being emphasized about each of them are also facets of Prophet Muhammad himself, peace be upon him. And we'll make more sense of this little by little as we go through the, uh, uh, the, the material over the next few pages, inshallah. Okay, so speaking more, and so here we're also saying that to get a sense of from an Islamic lens, I don't know why I wrote Jesus and wrote Isa everywhere else. When we're looking through an Islamic lens, how do these things relate to each other? Another way to think about this through an Islamic lens, we're saying in the story of Moses, peace be upon him, an emphasis is on law. And then in the story of Jesus, peace be upon him, an emphasis is on faith. And so these are different ways to just to try to get a sense of how, how, to, how to fit things together. So, and once again, let me know if I'm ever going too fast or if things are confusing by all means. Uh, oh, so Hanin is saying, how is Isa seen in the Jewish view? I think I may have answered that now, but essentially uh, at best he's looked at as, as uh, a rabbi and at worst as, as a renegade. I mean, that is uh, even part of the story at the time of, in the Christian narrative of the story of Good Friday and such. Okay. So we can close Al-Fatiha. And now getting into the second surah, Al-Baqarah. The very first line of Al-Baqarah are three Arabic letters. Alif, Lam, Mim. And so, I just want to show it to you, but I'll write it here. So it's literally Alif, Lam, Mim. Three Arabic letters with a particular pronunciation. Now, first, okay, what is the common Muslim discussion about this? Nobody knows what this means except for Allah. And that is, of course, correct. But let's look at other aspects of, of this. Suppose I'm an Arab, I'm fluent in Arabic, but I don't know anything about Islam. And I happen to come across a copy of the Quran. And, and I see this written. 
not knowing anything about Islam, not knowing any Muslims, never having heard the recitation of the Quran, how would I read this or how would I recite this? Anyone? What do you all think? I might pronounce it as Alam. Mm. I might pronounce it as Alima. What were you saying, Santiago? <clears throat> Alam. Alam, yeah. Right? All those things. Uh, what's, uh, what's interesting is that, okay, if I read this as Alam, you know, two words, what does that mean? Like Alam Nashrah Laka Sadrak? It's an inter interrogative. Yeah. So it's like the beginning of a question. Uh, or if I read this, that would have been actually like this. Uh, if I read this as Alema, how would I interpret this? It's to cause pain. Right, uh, what Fatima said, suppose I read it as ilm. Okay. That's another word for pain. And so, so how do I know to pronounce this as, and let me just put this in question mark. Okay. How do I know to pronounce this as alif lamim? How do I know to do it that way? Wahi. Yes. So essentially what we're saying, and I'm just going to So one thing we already said is only is Allah knows the meaning. This is handed down from Allah to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay by the angel Gabriel, by the angel Jibreel, from the prophet peace be upon him to the companions, from the companions to everyone else, and everyone else until it reaches us. Yeah. So to so hand it down. So from Allah, through the angel Gabriel, to the prophet peace be upon him, to the companions, and there's actually another generation here, which we'll talk about later. The successors, these are the people who come after the companions. And then the successors of the successors, these are the people who come after them. And eventually it gets to us, just like the prayer. And, and so if we talk to, to many of the, of the lifelong Muslims in this classroom, many of the lifers, uh, I don't know if we have any, any hafaz in the class. Uh, Sheikh Omar, are you, are you a hafiz? Um, uh, but uh, I'm very sure that just about everybody in the class, all the, uh, all the lifer Muslims, especially the daisies, but all the lifer Muslims probably have some relatives somewhere who have the whole Quran memorized, right? And, uh, uh, on one side of my family, it's a cousin. On another side of my family, it's a bunch of cousins. And, and so what we're being given a taste of with Alif Lam Mim is one of, the, one of the very important aspects of the whole of the Islamic tradition, 
which is the living community, the living continuous community. Just think back to when I, when I used to talk about what is Sunni Islam, what is Shia Islam. We said that you have the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Sunnis have the companions, Shias will have the Imams. And then from the companions, you'll have the legacy of scholars and you'll have the community. In, in Shia discourse, you'll have the legacy of the scholars, you'll have the legacy of the community. And how do most of us learn our Islam? It's gonna be through the community. The community includes the people, Today, it would include online sources and such. And there's scholars hovering around. But more often than not, you're going to learn it inside your house. You're going to learn it from your friends. You're going to learn it from your peers, so forth and so on. And so, so this is where a lot of the preservation and the continuation of Islam is taking place. So what's fascinating about the Quran is that it is so commonly memorized. And think about the fact, what is being memorized? every single letter, including the different ways you pronounce each letter. Like lilla, listen to the difference in L, in lam. Lilla versus Allah. Yeah. How do you pronounce each letter depending upon the vowels that come before it or where it is in the word? Or uh, not only are you memorizing the letters, you're also memorizing the spaces in between the words. How long is a space supposed to be? And, and that is being done person to person to person to person. Good. Now, what I find equally, if not more fascinating, is the fact that, like we just spoke about, the prayer is preserved. So the prophet says, peace be upon him, pray as you see me pray. And that's what the companions are following. And then ask just about any Muslim, how did you learn how to pray? They'll say, I learned from someone, often parents, Sunday school. Maybe someone starts from the internet or starts from the book, but then you really learn how to pray when you're praying with other people. And they learn from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone going back to the prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, can you all hear me? Uh, Yusuf is saying he, okay. Uh, uh, Yusuf, let me know if you, can, if you can still hear. So, so, so what we're saying is that the prayer uh, doesn't have a manual. The Quran doesn't tell you how to pray. The hadith don't have a chapter that say, okay, here's one hadith that gives you how to pray. Rather, the hadith literature will have all the different parts of the prayer uh, uh, saved. And you can assemble the prayer from that. Uh, but the point is, how do you learn how to pray? There's no central manual. And, and as is the case with, with other uh, ancient religions, Muslims are of every single level of literacy and illiteracy, every single socioeconomic class. And still, it's all being taught the same way. And then, like I said, you go on Hajj, and then everyone prays almost exactly the same way. Even the minor differences. Hey, do I do this before at the end of each rakat? Where do I keep my hands? You know, do I keep them up here on my on my navel onto on the side? Uh, do I do this with my finger? Do I do this? All that is also getting traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so I'm saying this is one of the open miracles of, of Islam. It is the preservation of the prayer. Okay. Right there before everyone's eyes. And, and that I find to be very, very fascinating, resulting from this living, continuous community. Okay. 
And even if you look at the variations between Sunni and Shia prayer, most of those are, are, are very, very minor details. So, so one of the big lessons, of course, with Alif Lamin is that Allah Ta'ala knows what it means. And another big lesson is, is its preservation, the fact that it's handed down. Now, if I'm saying I don't know what this means, but Allah knows what this means, then I've taken a step in submitting, intellectual submission. I have accepted that there's limits to my knowledge that Allah is not limited by. So however smart I am, however smart I think I am, there's limits there. Allah Ta'ala is not bound by those limits. That's another lesson from Alif Lam Now, what else can we do? What time are we at? Okay, in fact, let's stop here. There's one other lesson uh, to do with Alif Lam uh, but we'll save that, inshallah, for tomorrow. Uh, one floor, open up floor. Any other questions about anything? Whether about Alif Lam or beyond? Is it the same for all recitations? Uh, specifically for the recitation of Alif Lam Mim. Okay, so, so, so to answer the question, uh, uh, Mahim, he's talking about the recitations. So there are multiple even schools of recitation. Uh, is Alif Lam Mim pronounced the same? There are subtle differences. So the vowels will have a different inflection. Like instead of A, it'll be E. But beyond that, I don't know how, how Alif Lam Mim varies in terms of different recitations. Uh, Hanin, uh, to get to your question, we'll be discussing that inshallah tomorrow. But the short answer is going to be only Allah knows, but we're going to get some insights based on uh, uh, passages of the Quran, inshallah. Any other questions about anything at all? Yes, random question. And feel free either to type or to speak. What does Islam say about DNR as in do not resusc resuscitate? I think that's what you, that's the first thing that I understand. Uh, so I'll give you the super, super short answer. Do not consider this to be a fatwa. And uh, had I not talked to your sister, like literally like an hour ago, I would have been afraid that you were talking about somebody in your family. But uh, uh, the, the short answer is essentially that um, uh, uh, what you'll find uh, scholars prescribing is, okay, if the physician is telling you that there's no chance of recovery, yeah, and often many scholars will say to go to a Muslim physician, if they're saying there's no chance to recover, then by pulling the plug, you are not causing their death. So if you pull the plug and if they survive, uh, alhamdulillah, but if they do not, that is not uh, on you. Uh, what also happens when people are taken off of a ventilator is, is that they are surviving, but they're in essentially a very, very low, full of pain state. And so some prescriptions, the physicians also offer uh, uh, a medication that can be applied that will actually kill the person. That is looked at as forbidden. But that's, that's the, the super, super short answer that, uh, uh, that we get regarding DNR. Any other questions about anything at all? 
Uh, do any of the Jews see Isa Islam as a prophet? Uh, I've never come across uh, uh, anyone who, who does. I mean, there is a group called the Jews for Jesus, Messianic Jews. Uh, but in terms of mainstream Jews, they're not recognized. They would be sort of like the way Sunni Muslims would look at the nation of Islam uh, um, or, or Christ, uh, Catholics and Protestants looking at them. You know, uh, uh, but uh, I'm not, uh, I mean, there's different levels in terms of how he's looked at. Like I said, you know, uh, the nicest version will be that he's a rabbi. Um, and then the, the more critical will be that he's a renegade especially in terms of the preaching of the Trinity and such. Any other questions? Is it true that Torah mentions Ahmad or something like that, a coming messenger? So in Deuteronomy, there's a mention of, of a comforter and in, in some Christian interpretation that is said to be uh, Jesus. And, and, and some Muslims argue that that's actually referring to Muhammad. Peace be upon them both. It was like Deuteronomy 1818, somewhere around there. Any other questions? Okay, uh, inshallah, we will stop here. And so once again, look for the exam. Uh, I mean, it, the exam uh, is more for your benefit uh, to, help, uh, to help process all the information. So don't look at it as, as you know, your whole self-worth is gonna be based upon this. And for those who would want to continue into course number two, I haven't decided if or when to be teaching that, you will have to, be do it, you will have, to have done a certain amount of all three of the exams that will be getting posted. Right now, I'm only gonna post one, inshallah. Okay, we'll stop right here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness, wa natubu ilayk, and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell and reward you all. Wa akhri da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.